For many of us, 2020 will be a year we'd rather forget. Whether the pandemic affected our health, our loved ones or our finances, its effects will be evident for some time to come. Investors across the globe have also had a rough ride, with markets experiencing some wild swings over the course of the year. And while some managed to save during the COVID outbreak, others faced job loss or a lower income. Now, with a vaccine set to return life to some semblance of normality, the question we all want to ask is, what's in store for investors in 2021? So is this the year of recovery? Where will the markets go from here? Will Biden deliver a boost to the US economy? Will Britain falter when the Brexit transition period ends on December 31st? There are so many questions. Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne from The National, and joining me today is industry veteran Mukhara Matassi, Head of Investment Management at the National Bank of Fajira. Welcome to the show, Mukaram. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alice. I'm honoured. Oh, thank you. Now, it's been a monumental 12 months and quite a year to end on for someone who was retiring after 36 years in the industry. So can you wrap up the highs and lows that we've seen in the global economy since the start of the year? I mean, where were we at this time last year and where are we now? I think this is an exceptional, we are living, uh, I mean, this is very banal to say we are living through exceptional circumstances. This year, I think, will go down in history as a something truly remarkable. We have never seen that before. Uh, this is the first time a world economy is shut, completely shut down by government diktat. That never happened. Even in wartime, uh, you had some, some semblance of, of reality. Imposure of travel ban. Who would have ever thought about this uh, coming to reality? Crowds were prohibited. We were unable to, to meet with our loved ones. We were unable to meet our friends, gather as we, we all social animals do usually. We we have heard for the first time, you know, the expression non-essential activity. So these were forbidden. There were things that were essential and things that were unessential. Uh, we have seen the largest global economic crash ever. Some economies globally contracted 15%, 18%. Uh, the likes of Brazil and some countries in Asia. And following that, you know, we had the shortest bear market ever. Uh, we recovered fairly quickly. Uh, markets having anticipated what was lying ahead, basically the, the, the fiscal stimulus, the easy monetary policy, money flooding, uh, you know, the um, governments who were no longer concerned about deficits, etc. They were ready to spend everything on supporting the economy. So that gave the markets a big boost. And we have seen the shortest bear market in history, you know, hardly three, three weeks to a month. And following that, we have seen new record uh, on the Dow Jones, on the NASDAQ, etc., now, this pandemic also has revealed, accelerated uh, 
tendencies or trends that were already with us. So it really accelerated the digitalization. We never thought that we would be able to conduct uh, something like we are doing today over a digital telephone and uh, you, Alice, sitting in London and I'm sitting here in Dubai. COVID has accelerated trends and has revealed also some aging industries, you know, relevance of travel, relevance of things we used to take for granted. And this has impacted asset prices accordingly. So we have seen sectors in the recovery I was talking about earlier. We have seen sectors recover very fast and make new highs and reach capitalization that, uh, you know, the stratospheric capitalization. And yet, on the other hand, we saw industries uh, being cheaply priced or cheaply valued get even cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So the divide is great among uh, asset classes, among uh, industries, among sectors, etc., etc. So we now have huge levels of stimulus in countries across the globe. We've, you know, we've got unemployment ramping up. We've got public sector debt levels rising. And now we've got a vaccine. I mean, is this vaccine really going to be enough to stem the tide of all this gloom? Is this going to secure the recovery that we really need in 2021? It depends how you are formulating the question. Are we going to see economic recovery uh, this soon? Probably not. Uh, we are unfortunately going through uh, to go through a tough period for certain sectors, for certain companies, and unfortunately for people. Unemployment, you mentioned, is likely to remain high. Probably, um, you know, we have seen at the height of the uh, lockdown and pandemic, some countries registering up to 15% unemployment rates. Now we recovered back to six, seven. It's the last mile that is going to be difficult to recover. So how do we move now from seven to back to three and a half percent, say, in the U.S.? It's that last bit that is the most difficult to recover. In terms of markets, markets have already anticipated. They are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And we have seen when, for instance, the vaccine was announced, although I feel that it was a bit exaggerated, a share, I hate to comment on specific shares or companies, but a share like Lufthansa, the day the vaccine was announced, rallied 40%. Is that realistic? Are we going to come back to travel the way we used to do it very quickly? Probably not. Uh, the vaccine needs to be rolled out. The vaccine has certain conditions for storage. We need to keep it at very low temperature. If we can do it in the West, how do Brazilians do it in the tropical weather? So probably markets have anticipated and perhaps have anticipated with a lot of optimism uh, however, unfortunately, the economic recovery is likely to be slow and we are going to see failures of companies, uh, failures of companies that were weak before the crisis and that where the crisis has accelerated their, their further weakness 
and they make them disappear. So, I mean, as you say, some sectors were absolutely hammered by the crisis, you know, with aviation, leisure, tourism, hospitality. You know, looking forward into 2021, as you say, Lufthansa's share price soared on the news of the vaccine. But what's the outlook for those segments? I mean, should investors start parking their money there to cash in on the recovery that that we all hope will come? My recommendation in this environment, we really, as a professional, I would encourage investors to focus and rely on strategic asset allocation. Don't bet on certain sectors. Have a very diversified portfolio that may include some of these battered sectors, but definitely work depending on your risk profile and your objectives, etc. But have a very diversified portfolio that includes some of these better industries. Selection will be key going forward. Uh, focus on quality, focus on visibility. For visibility, what I mean, visibility of cash flows, visibility of business model, visibility on earnings. These battered sector, we don't buy something just because it is cheap. And with that in mind, I mean, the UK has been pretty cheap in uh, in the, over the last 12 months, and some have actually dubbed it uninvestable. I mean, is that, obviously, we, we've got Brexit, we've got the faltering pound, um, and these kind of things have been good for some people, you know, people like investing in property in the UK when the market's down. But what's the outlook for a post-Brexit UK? I mean, should investors be looking at the UK because will the UK recover not only from COVID, but also from its exit from the European Union? Okay, it depends what exit. I know we have talks. I know we have a deadline. Uh, are we going to get a deal, a semi, semi-okay deal? Are we going a, a, to get a last-minute basic deal. It all depends on that. But I believe that if we have a no-deal Brexit, the long-term outlook for UK uh, will be worse than what they lived through COVID. So a deal is essential for uh, the UK. The European Union has been, is the biggest commercial partner of the UK, and they have been interlinked. So there are interdependencies between the two that cannot just go away like this. It takes time for for these interdependencies to be replaced with something else. So in the meantime, Britain may suffer if we have a no-deal Brexit. A basic deal, a minimum deal, which is the outcome I think in the end will post this political posturing will prevail. Uh, And that's my prediction. Usually I don't predict political events, but I think politicians will come to reason. Well, it's certainly been a story that goes on and on and on. And another story that goes on and on and on is the US presidential election where we think that Biden will be entering the White House in January. How do you think that's going to benefit investors, not only from the point of view that trade relations, global trade relations should improve, but also, you know, will it will he bring a boost to the US market? Look, po- political events don't drive markets. They drive short-term tendencies, but they don't drive long-term uh, outlooks or long-term trends for market. What drives long-term trends is earnings, cash flows, 
business models, interest rate, uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy. This is what drives market. Now, Biden is likely, we don't know, the U.S. election is still on uh, until uh, 5th of January. What is going to happen in the Senate? Is he going to get majority? Is, is it going to be a hang parliament? It all depends on, obviously, the short-term trend and the, the impact on market will likely depend on this. Now, let's say it's not a hang parliament and he gets a majority. The likelihood of a bigger fiscal stimulus will definitely entice the markets to go higher, will likely invigorate certain sectors, uh, and I'm thinking of the green economy sectors or the greener economy. However, it is likely to increase the deficit of the United States because Democrats are typically known to be bigger spenders and fiscally less responsible. What does that mean to the market? A weaker dollar. Slightly higher interest rates. So, but it's very difficult to predict. Uh, you know, one can predict a political outcome, but we cannot predict what the this political outcome will necessarily or how it will be necessarily interpreted by the markets. Absolutely, but I mean, with the potential of a weaker U.S. dollar, what about other key currencies such as the pound, the euro, and the yen? I mean, what should we expect in those areas? You know, currencies is a relative game, if I'm a relative value game, if I may say. Why is the dollar weakening? Because of the anticipate currently, why is it weakening? Because of the anticipated greater deficit and greater need to issue further uh, bonds to finance that deficit. Now, the U.S. is starting from a hundred, roughly 110 debt to GDP where the European Union is starting at a less, at around 70% debt to GDP. So the market is anticipating that the debasing of the US dollar is greater than other regions in the world. So the biggest pair being euro and US dollar. Uh, the euro is currently being favored because it is likely to be to lose less value, uh, purchasing power value in the future. Second, with such a pile of debt, is, is the American debt going to appeal to the rest of the world? Or do we have competing uh, debt issuers? And I'm thinking here China, for instance, which is a rising power. One cannot deny that rising technological power, economic power, political power. So we are starting to see that duopol between the U.S. and the Chinese that will attract some, some money flows, some, some flows into China. So this is probably why the dollar is weakening. However, I don't expect a sharp weakening of the dollar in 2021. Interesting. Now, with that in mind, you know, we have very low interest rates at the moment, and this probably won't be the year to store your money in cash necessarily. Do you think that that outlook, do you think that outlook might change? And what about the other traditional safe haven of gold? I mean, what's the outlook there? Uh Uh-huh. 
look, there will be chase for yield. Interest rates are likely to remain where they are for a very, very, very long period, simply because we have so much debt in the world. As I said earlier, the, the most important thing is to focus on strategic asset allocation and to build a very diversified portfolio to reflect some structural trends. I spoke earlier about the China rising. China, for instance, 10 years ago, a decade ago, its weight in the emerging market indices was about 15%. Today, the weight of Chinese market by market capitalization weight is about 50%. So China as a core holding cannot be ignored. And I think soon China will exit, not exit, but a China allocation will be, uh, will be made just like we do a, a U.S. allocation or a European allocation. So I would definitely pay more attention as an investor within a diversified portfolio to add a bit more of China. Another sector that naturally, and I'm here, I'm talking for the next decade, I'm not necessarily talking for 2021, life science. We, we have developed a vaccine, uh, you know, typically it takes 10 years to develop a vaccine. Here we have developed a vaccine in just 10 months. So we see the importance of life science in a globally aging population. And we have seen the importance of that. And and we have seen also uh, the importance of digital health, for instance, where today we can consult with our GP through the internet. So those are areas for me that warrant some attention. Clean energy, another area to focus on. Now back to gold. Gold is a store of value, right? Gold does not pay any interest. As long as interest rates are negative, real rates are negative, gold is worth having as a diversifier in your portfolio. Because by investing in gold, you are not going to get paid interest. In any case, interests are near zero or at zero. So you are not losing any opportunities. So gold should be part of a portfolio. Actually, it is recommended to have between 5 and 10% invested in precious metals, uh, gold, silver, platinum, etc. Now, the other thing is a lot of UAE investors do like to invest for the long term. So they either do it through holding low-cost exchange-traded funds or they invest in blue chips that pay out healthy dividends. So what's the outlook for those focusing on earning income from their assets? Well, you know, Can they expect dividends to return to the same levels that they were pre-pandemic? If you are holding a diversified portfolio of income generating and non-income generating, as I said, interest rates are unlikely to rise anytime soon. And in fact, uh, we are living in a, in a world with low inflation and uh, inflation is likely to remain tame. And hence, there is no pressure on central banks to raise rates. So unfortunately, significant income generation will need to be either generated through taking risk, further risk, and accepting some volatility. That's the only 
either we take uh, further credit risk to generate acceptable income, or we need to invest in equities in order to generate uh, capital appreciation. But income from traditionally safe government bonds is highly unlikely to satisfy investors who are looking at 5% plus. Risk needs to be further enhanced. Now, with that in mind, this brings me on to my final question, which is that 2020 really has been the year when the term environmental, social and governance came into its own. And and it's something that more and more companies are now focusing on. So do you see that becoming fully entrenched in the investment landscape next year? Oh, very much so. I think uh, we had, if I may say so, a two-dimension world where we had risk versus return. And we have just added a third dimension, which is qualitative extra financial dimension, which is social governance and environment, where this needs to be incorporated as an investment uh, guideline uh, to be used forward. Just simply, it has been proven that uh, companies that follow uh, ESG norms are less risky, are better places to work for. They have a greater retention of, of staff. They, they are able to attract talent. And there are many companies around the globe that are just doing that. And their market capitalizations are very much rising and very much appreciated by investors because they know that if we have strong ESG, we are unlikely to have nasty surprises, and I think of Wirecard, for instance, the German uh, car payment solution company that has committed fraud. So uh, a good ESG-managed company is unlikely to run into these surprises and are a magnet for talent. And we are in a world uh, competing for talents. Well, that is definitely a positive note to end on. Thank you very much for joining me today, Mukaram. Thank you, Alice. Thank you this week to Mukaram Atassi. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at thenational.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Haynes.